For those of you who don't know, I'm Jason Coker. I'm the co-lead minister here. And about 96 seconds ago, I had a small panic attack because I didn't have my Bible with me and I was about to come up here. And woo, I am so glad that I put it up here. I was about to like preach a whole new sermon. I wasn't sure what it was going to be. But uh, um, so welcome to Pride Sunday. Hey, listen, I know for a bunch of you, you're like, yeah, yeah, pride, you know, we're always talking about, you know, being LGBTQ affirming in this church. But uh, the notion that there are churches around the country and even around the world at this time, on this day of the week, who are welcoming and affirming and celebrating LGBTQ sexuality and love is enormous. And it is an issue that is only increasingly coming under threat and attack. So it's, I think, not something to be taken for granted. Um, it's a big deal that we do this. Uh, and it's a big deal that we as a community continue to lean into insisting upon safe spaces for people who are continually marginalized and oppressed uh, and vilified increasingly in our country. I don't know if you've been paying attention, but we're doing our very best to actively pass laws that are threatening the lives of LGBTQ people in the United States right now. Um, so this is not a small thing. Uh, and I realize that for many of you, because of your religious upbringing, this day might, along with the joy, bring a bit of discomfort. And so we're going to talk a little bit about that discomfort today uh, and hopefully maybe uh, find a way to recognize how the Spirit of God is at work in those moments of discomfort. Um, I'm going to ask you to, we're going to actually skip this slide. Let's just jump into the passage today. We're going to look at Acts chapter 11, verses 15 through 18. Uh, this is a familiar passage. You've heard me speak on this before if you've been hanging around, but it's an important one for us to lean into. So we're going to do that uh, and take a, a little bit different look at it today. Before we do, I'm going to ask you just to pray with me, and let's ask the Spirit of God to be with us this morning. God, we thank you for this place. We thank you for the people who are here. We thank you for the opportunity for us to gather in this space and to proclaim our commitment to your spirit of love. We ask, Lord, that no matter what uh, pressure or threats or triggering feelings we might experience today because of hurt or harm or shame that we have been subject to in the past or because we have been told uh, things that are not true about you and your character and what is good and right and just. We confess that we are growing as people into what it means to accurately reflect your goodness in this world. And so, God, as we read through these passages today, as we lean into the discomfort of growth into new things, we pray that you would fill our hearts with love and joy and peace and patience and kindness, all those things that give evidence of you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, by the way, I got a fair bit of attention yesterday at uh, Pride by the Beach because of the shirt that I wore. Now, this is this is like 
no big deal, right? I mean, rainbow heart, Jesus loves, nobody has a problem with that. But yesterday I wore a shirt that said, Jesus was woke in like a rainbow. And I want you to know, I'm not bragging, okay? I, I promise, I'm not bragging. But it's possible that yesterday when I went to Pride by the beach, it is just possible that I might have chosen a shirt that I thought might upset somebody. Now, here's why. Now, in my defense, there are a few churches in San Diego County who have made it their mission to actively vilify and criminalize LGBTQ people. They are on TikTok every day. They are on Facebook every day, sailing, saying the most vile things. They're showing up at school board meetings. They're showing up at listening sessions for city governments. They are becoming loud and proud about their bigotry. And there was a threat that they might show up at Pride by the Beach yesterday and protest. So I was like, okay, listen, this will just not make them mad enough, right? <laughs> like, this is just like, oh, sure, he's like a liberal pastor. Of course he's going to wear like a rainbow heart that says Jesus loves. So I thought like, well, what shirt do I have that might just upset them the most, provoke them even more? And for a moment, I thought I was going to grab a shirt <laughs> that has Jesus on it. Really great little picture of Jesus wearing a rainbow robe, and he's sort of leaning forward, and at the top it says, Ah, men. <laughs> I love that shirt, right? I mean, I, I it's just, uh, but again, it's just a, sort of playing to the stereotype. Like, of course, that, you know, is what somebody... I was going to wear Pride by the Beach, but I thought there is like nothing more frustrating to folks like this than the idea that Jesus was woke, right? Because like woke has become the new like catchword for all that is wrong with the progressive left, right? So I'm saying this partly because I want you to know that I believe in confession. So here I am confessing <laughs> that when I showed up yesterday at Pride, it might not have been entirely out of a motivation to be loving and conciliatory. Um, I also want you to know that this is, for better and for worse, like very much who I am. And for those of you who might know me, this is no surprise to you, but I really like making people uncomfortable. I mean, and here's the thing, like you should like what you're good at, right? And I'm good at making people just deeply uncomfortable. You know, I'm like, I'm like that guy in group meetings who's really good with silence. Like when you ask a question to the group and everybody sits there awkwardly and there's always that person who has to jump in and say something to like dispel the tension. No, I love that tension. I love that space where people are like squirming because the moment isn't meeting their expectations. I think that space of tension is where we grow. I think it's where we experience new things, new ideas, new possibilities. And so I like making people uncomfortable. And this is, again, a little bit of a confession because the truth is this is not necessarily a virtue. I mean, sometimes it works well for me. Other times I promise it does not work well. Uh, but it's just sort of my personality, right? Like I like change. You know that saying like, you know, I don't believe in change for change's sake, you know, like 
this is something you hear a lot, like in workplaces where people are pushing for some new initiative. People always want to make everybody feel better about the changes by saying, I'm not insisting on change because I like change. We want change because we're trying to get to something good. No, I like change. I will change things just for the sake of changing them. Like ask Joey or Alex or Janelle, it drives them crazy, right? Sometimes I'll tell them, listen, I want to take the boat apart while we're sailing and rebuild it. Like that's what we do here. So all of this is just to say that there is discomfort and frustration and fear whenever our sort of normative ideas or values or routines are being shaken up. And of course, not surprisingly, uh, I think this has a lot to do with Acts chapter 11. If you know this story, then I'm sure you're already seeing where we're going with this. If you have a Bible, you can turn there. It's Acts chapter 11, verses 15 through 18, but we will put the passage up on the screen as usual. Uh, This passage begins with Peter speaking to a sort of council of Christian leaders in Jerusalem. This is in the book of Acts. It's after we've seen like the birth of the church, which is where there's this depiction of the Holy Spirit being poured out upon a diverse group of people and being able to speak and understand in foreign languages. and, And the Spirit of God is like moving them to confront sort of old ideas about who God is. And we see this dramatic thing happening with Peter right in the middle of the book of Acts. We pick it up here in verse 15 in the middle of his speech to the leaders in Jerusalem. He says, and as I began to speak, he's telling a story, right? And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them just as it had fallen upon us at the beginning. And I remember the word of the Lord, how he had said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now I'm going to pause there. For those of you who maybe don't remember, the backstory on this is back in Acts chapter 10, Peter is in Joppa, an old uh, town in the ancient Near East, and he's traveling somewhere. And while he's up on a roof at, a, at his essentially the place that's hosting him, he sees this vision. He gets this like powerful image of a sheet, what looks like a sheet falling from heaven, being lowered down from heaven. And on this sheet that's lowered from heaven are all these animals that in the Jewish tradition are unclean, right? So this is like, you know, pig and shrimp and, you know, any animals with, uh, you know, cloven hooves that shouldn't be eaten. Now, if you're Jewish, if you eat these things, you become unclean. Right? And to this day, of course, in the Jewish tradition, people who are uh, more orthodox in their Jewish practice, they don't eat pork or shrimp, except for like on Friday nights, then they all go to Red Lobster together. Right? <laughs> That's this true thing, by the way. Um, so... That's still something that is a part of the Jewish tradition. And so for for Peter, what happens is he sees this sheet lowered down from heaven, all these unclean animals on it. And then this booming voice from heaven comes and, and says, Peter, take, kill, and eat. In other words, take one of these unclean animals, slaughter it, prepare it. I assume barbecue it, throw some sauce on it. I don't know, right? But enjoy this meal. And Peter, assuming that this is a kind of test, from God says, no, Lord, there's a contradiction, right? No, Lord, for I have never eaten anything unclean. Three times this happens. The voice booms from heaven, take, kill, and eat. And Peter says, absolutely not. I'm a good Jew. I don't do that. 
I follow the rules. And after the third time, the voice from heaven says, do not call unclean what I have made clean. This is a fascinating story. Peter sort of wakes up from this vision right after hearing this, seeing this, these unclean animals and being told, do not call unclean what I have called clean. And immediately a messenger shows up. And this messenger is from Cornelius, who is this God-fearing a Gentile Roman soldier. God-fearing at that time meant people who weren't Jewish because Jewish is an ethnicity, right? But they sort of observed Jewish customs. So Cornelius has heard about Paul. He sends this messenger to Paul because he wants Paul to come and bring him the message of God. And so the messenger shows, or excuse me, Peter, the messenger shows up, uh, uh, says to Peter, my master Cornelius has sent me. He would like you to come and bring the good news of God, the message of God. Peter says, yeah, absolutely, that's what I'm here to do. He goes, he shows up uh, at Cornelius' household. He begins to unpack the message of God for Cornelius and his household, and something kind of crazy happens. And this is where we pick up the story. Peter's recounting the story. He says, yeah, I showed up at Cornelius' house, and I started to preach. I started to teach. I started to give them the good news of God. And as I was speaking, the Holy Spirit fell upon them. And there was evidence of the Holy Spirit. They began, just like us, back at the birth of the church when the Spirit was poured out, just like us, they began to be able to speak and hear foreign languages so that they could hear the good news of God and understand it. They began to exhibit the evidence of God on their lives. Now, he wasn't done teaching. Like, the altar call hadn't come yet, right? Like, this wasn't the time when Peter was ready to convert them. And if Peter had converted them, the next logical step would have been circumcision for the men. Right. Bad news, I know. Because remember, Peter was Jewish. Still. And this movement, this new movement that sort of catalyzed around this person of Jesus was a Jewish movement. This was a community of Jewish people who believed that Jesus was their promised Messiah. And so to become Christian was really, at that time, to become Jewish or to become more Jewish in the tradition of this prophet Jesus. So Peter would have had a dilemma. What do I do with these Gentiles who now suddenly are exhibiting the Spirit of God on their lives? Let's pick this up again. Again, verse 16, and I remembered the word of the Lord and how he had said, John baptized with water, but you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. All right, so this is a new experience for Peter. Peter doesn't know what to do with this. He's speaking to these Gentiles. They begin to show the signs that the Spirit of God is like affecting them. And Peter says, oh, I remembered that time when Jesus said, there's going to come a time when we don't baptize with water, but the Spirit will baptize them. Now, the, the disciples did not know what Jesus was talking about. They rarely did. But now he remembers. Oh, right. Jesus said there would be a, a time when the Spirit would baptize them or they would be immersed in the Spirit of God. So he's making this connection. So let's go on to the next slide. And then uh, verse 17, and then God gave them the same gift that he gave us. Now, this is, again, remember Peter recounting this story to the leaders of the church in Jerusalem. And the reason is, is because Peter's in trouble. You see, 
what they caught wind of is that Peter had this encounter with Gentiles. And this encounter with Gentiles involved Peter visiting the home of Gentiles. That's like going to Red Lobster if you're Jewish. You get that? Gentiles are unclean. There are walking, talking versions of pigs and shrimp. You don't hang out with them. You don't talk to them. You certainly don't sit down and have a meal with them. You definitely don't touch them. Because that threat is for ritual impurity, uncleanness. And so now they've heard that Peter might be unclean. Peter has visited the household of a Gentile family, and he's brought the good news of God to them. Now they've recalled Peter back to Jerusalem to say, hey, what's the deal? What happened? What are you thinking? Well, this is what he's explaining to them. Let me tell you the story. Here's what happened. I saw this vision. A messenger came. I went and I saw Cornelius and his family. And then a weird thing happened. I was teaching these Gentiles about the things of God. And the Holy Spirit came upon them. The same thing that happened to us back in Acts chapter 2, only you wouldn't have said Acts chapter 2, right? (laughs) The same thing that happened to us happened to them. If then God gave them the same gift that he gave us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could hinder God? This is an extraordinary argument that we still have not reckoned with in the church. If God gives you the same spirit, the same gift, the same grace, who am I to get in God's way? Who am I to say, oh no, that's not God. Who's in charge of this whole thing? Some of you are thinking Janelle right now, but (laughs) it's not what I mean. Who's in charge of this whole thing? Who's in charge of Christianity? Who's in charge of God? Who's in charge of grace? Who's in charge of goodness? The Jerusalem church is trying to get a hold of this. Because something really unprecedented, something threatening is happening. This news, this message, this grace, this gift is leaking out of the Jewish community into this unclean community. If I, as a Jewish person, am made unclean by hanging out with, talking to, breaking bread with, and possibly touching a Gentile, what does that mean if God comes into contact with these unclean people? Peter says, who am I? To hinder God. That is my favorite bit, verse 18. Do we have a slide for verse 18? When they heard this, they were silenced. Hey, listen, I don't know about you, but I can think of a whole lot of people right now I'd like to be silenced. This is it. This is the argument that silences those critics. For those of you who say... Christ is my savior. Jesus is my teacher. God is my source of life and goodness. Nobody can argue with the evidence of that in your life. Nobody. The question is not, 
Do you follow the right rules? The question is not, do you belong to the right church? The question is not, do you read the right translation of the Bible? The question is not, do you wear the right shirts at Pride by the Beach? I mean, that's fun. But that's just a virtue signal. <laughs> virtue signaling, highly underrated, by the way. But that's not what proves that I'm with God. This thing that, that Scripture refers to as the Spirit is what proves that I'm with God. A couple things that I'm noticing about this story in this passage. Number one, Peter's identity, who Peter is as a human being. You might argue that like our sense of identity is the most important thing about us. How we understand ourselves in the world, who we relate to, what it is that makes us who we think we are. Peter's whole identity is wrapped up in his boundaries. What he can and can't eat, what celebrations he engages in, what festivals, the fact that he's circumcised, who he can hang out with, who he can eat with, who he can be with, who he can uh, hear from, who's authoritative in his life. This is actually how we all create our identities. What are my boundaries in life? Who is it that it's safe for me to be around? Who's part of my people? Who's part of my tribe? What is my home? Where am I safe? That's what boundaries are all about. This is exactly what Peter means when he sees in the vision that sheet lowered down of unclean food and God says, take, kill, and eat. And he says, absolutely not, by no means. I'm a good Jew. He's expressing his boundaries. This is who he is. But the second thing I notice is that God transgresses those boundaries. God says, do not call unclean what I have made clean. And so we have this sort of odd rhythm, this sort of dialectic between boundaries and transgression. Transgression, by the way, just means to cross boundaries. That's like literally etymologically what it means, to cross boundaries. Here God is transgressing the boundaries that God created in the Hebrew Bible. And I don't know that we really spend enough time reflecting on the enormity of that. And what I've noticed is that we have a tendency to do one of two things. We tend to think that God is the boundaries first. This is exactly what's meant by the law in the New Testament. These are the boundaries. God is the law. God is the rules. God is, you know, that line in the sand that I cannot cross. And so we construct our identities, our religious and irreligious identities around what we can and cannot do, who is safe and is not safe, who's a part of my family and who isn't, who's a part of my tribe and who isn't, what's home and what isn't. These are the things that keep me safe and define who I am. And we think that's God. The more sort of legalistic or controlling your religious community, the more they have confused God with boundaries. And here's the thing about boundaries. They make really good servants and really terrible masters. 
And so those boundaries, as good as they might be, as necessary as they might be at a time, they can become hurtful and harmful and oppressive, both to others and to you. Listen, this is like, you know, one of those like uh, off the rails, progressive kind of churches, right? We're like the church your parents warned you about. (laughs) But we have boundaries. You know, when you walked in the door here, there was a sign on the arch that said, this is a safe space, right? And it had the pink triangle in the green circle. And when you visit our website, there's like rainbow flags all over the front page. Now, we do that for a reason. One of the reasons is if you are a part of the queer community, we want you to know that you're safe. But the other just as important reason is if you're a bigot, we want you to know that this is probably not a comfortable place for you. Mm -hmm. Right? Like we're (laughs) pre-qualifying. That's definitely a boundary, right? Like if you're wrestling with what you think about gay people, I so hope that you come here. If you're not wrestling, if you're 100% sure gay people are bad, then I'd really rather you go to another church. There are so many churches for you. Good churches with great programs who teach lots of really good stuff, honestly. Really. But on that point, like we're called to be a safe space for people who have been harmed by religion. And so that's a boundary. I'll bet you have found that boundaries are helpful in your life too. That there are sometimes people that you need to create boundaries with. So boundaries can be good and important. They help us to define who we are. That's a good thing. They help us to grow into that identity. That's a good thing. But at some point, those boundaries become more than just a kind of helpful way for us to create safety so that we can grow into ourselves. They become our identity. And when that happens, yes, God will come along and transgress those boundaries. God will challenge you to move past them. And that's exactly what God does in this passage. In this way, of course, God is extraordinarily queer. This is, of course, a big part of what it means to be queer, to transgress. Because we live in a society that has made certain heteronormative boundaries into a kind of God. And so it's not safe for you to be with the person that you love. It's not safe for you to be open and out about who you are. That's why it's so important to have things like pride celebrations, where queer people can be themselves and hold hands in public, express their goodness, their sexuality, and the goodness of their sexuality openly in a slightly safer space. Transgression becomes an extraordinarily important way that God challenges boundaries that have become idols. Because when you stand in that moment of defiant transgression and hold hands in public, everybody okay? (laughs) When you hold hands in public, you are transgressing what's normative, but you're doing it 
loudly and proudly to challenge what's wrong about those boundaries. This is what black pride means. It's good, but it's very uncomfortable. Because for those of us who maybe were steeped in those normative boundaries and told that to transgress those rules might put us in existential, eternal danger with God, who can only satisfy his anger by like tormenting you for all eternity, that becomes a little bit frightening. So, God sometimes works through boundaries. God sometimes works through transgressing those boundaries. But God is not the boundaries. Nor is God the transgression. And these, I think, are the two mistakes that we tend to make. God is not the boundaries we've constructed our identity out of, and God is not the transgression by which we challenge those boundaries. Rather, God is the evidence of the Spirit in our lives. God is the goodness, the righteousness, the peace, the justice that comes when we have good, healthy boundaries and are safe within them. And God is the goodness and the righteousness, the justice and the peace that comes when we recognize those boundaries have failed or ceased to be good and useful and we break them. God is, in short, the fruit that comes by God's presence, by God's spirit. We see this in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, 23, famously, When Paul is unpacking this and he says, for the fruit of the Spirit is obvious, it's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, meekness, self-control. And after that, he says something incredibly important. He says, against these things, there can be no law. And that way, he's saying something very similar to Peter. He's saying, listen, if you have these things in your life, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, meekness, and self-control... Nobody can argue with that. Nobody. Who are we to say that God is not present in a queer relationship that is producing love? Who are we to hinder God? Your boundaries might be good for a time and then become an idol and have to be done away with. This, by the way, is just how growth works, right? Like, we're, we're people who learn to identify who we are and what we believe in and where we stand and what our values are and what our beliefs are and who it is that we identify with and who we're connected to and how we build communities around those things. Those become these sort of safe spaces where we can be. And that works for us for a while. We grow in that. We flourish in that little, like, you know, incubated space. We blossom. And then life happens. And we discover that the walls and the systems and the mechanisms that we use to create that incubated space no longer work as well as they used to. They don't explain what's good and right in the world as well as they used to. Experiences of life come along and challenge those rigid constructs, and we have to begin to rethink all of those things all over again. And that is a deeply uncomfortable place. 
sometimes a very chaotic and painful place. And it's sometimes a traumatizing place because somebody used those rigid boundaries to control you and to hurt you. And then some minister shows up at Pride by the Beach wearing a t-shirt that says, Amen. (laughs) Or you see two women holding hands walking down the sidewalk and you see the spirit of love and joy all over them. And then all of your categories are blown apart. And those old constructs don't work anymore. God has transgressed your idolatrous categories. That doesn't mean they weren't good for a while. It doesn't mean they weren't helpful for a time. But if you stay stuck there, then you just end up turning in on yourself in fear. And the next thing you know, you're holding signs that belittle and malign gay people at a Pride by the Beach event, and you're calling that love. God is calling us beyond the comfort of our boundaries. My question for you this morning on this Pride Sunday is what season are you in? Are you in a season of making boundaries? Are you in a season of redefining your identity and finding safety in that space, finding a new sense of tribe or a new sense of community, people that you know that you can be yourself around? Are you identifying a new set of values that suddenly resonate with you in ways that didn't before? Good. That's good. Those boundaries can be life-giving. Or are you in a season of transgression where you're questioning all your old boundaries? And all those things are being blown apart. And you're feeling a bit like unmoored and chaotic because of that. Hear me, that's good too. It's hard, it's painful. And on the other side of it, I can't promise you that all your old ideas and relationships will remain. And that is really hard and really painful. But our job is to follow the spirit wherever the spirit goes. And if we do, I promise you, It will be good. Amen? Amen. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you again for this day, this opportunity for us to be challenged and stretched and to celebrate and to grow into new expressions of faith and community and life and love and belief. We confess to you today that we sometimes move between these rhythms of boundary and transgression in very clumsy ways. That we oftentimes are more reactive than we like, more defensive than we would prefer. But God, we also confess that we are here partly because we have some sense of faith that you are at work. 
in all of these things. We struggle sometimes to recognize it and align with what you're doing. But it's our confession today, God, that we want to be with you wherever you're going. Give us courage for that journey and help us to connect with a sense of your love, joy and peace, patience and kindness and goodness. Give us the evidence of your spirit in our lives. In Jesus' name. Good morning, everybody. My name is CJ, and I've got a few announcements. If you are new to the Oceanside Sanctuary, welcome. Good morning. In front of you are what we like to call the connection cards, and you can grab one of those, or you can grab your phone, and you can do this really inconspicuously if you want to, and you can scan that QR code up on the screen. The one thing I love about this church is if you are new and you want to sort of let people know you're new and you're kind of checking things out and feeling it out, the staff is not going to show up at your house tomorrow night and knock at your door. They're not going to call you unless you want them to, but we would love to connect with you. If you have questions about the church or um, you want to meet the staff in person, fill out that connection card, scan the QR code, and when you are ready, we would love to connect with you. Coming up on Wednesday, June 7th, that is this Wednesday night from 6.30 to 8 p.m., it is our Processing Religious Trauma. This is a great class. It's a therapeutic group for anyone who has experienced emotional, physical, or spiritual harm in a religious setting. I have a feeling there's a good percentage of us in this room that have been there, right? It's going to be a great class facilitated by Stephanie Moss, who is a licensed clinical social worker, and Janelle Coker, spiritual director. This group will help people understand the kinds of trauma that can occur in abusive religious spaces, and it provides support for healing from those wounds. As always, you can fill out that connection card if you'd like to sign up, or you can scan the QR code. Happy Pride Sunday to you, everybody. Come on now, happy Pride Sunday, let's go. Right after church, we would love for you to join us out front. Nothing says Pride Sunday like a taco truck. Free tacos, a taco truck's gonna be out front, a chance just to be together as a community. And then also coming up on Thursday, June 22nd, it's Light Up with Pride worship service. Where did Joey go? Is he still in the room? I was gonna have him chime in on this. But it's going to be a fun night, night of celebration, of love, acceptance, inclusivity. Um, This is a great opportunity. So mark your calendars for that. Come out. Be part of it. It's free Thursday night, June 22nd. There's going to be a message. It's just going to be a great time of community there. And then you're also invited to attend our annual congregational meeting coming up on Sunday, June 25th. So don't forget about that. Mark your calendar on these things. This is also always up on our website. Service is going to be uh, at 11.15 a.m. for the congregational meeting. Let me tell you really quick what that's about. This is to approve the budget and board uh, slate for the year. We'd love as many people to join us as possible to continue to help move forward the momentum and the excitement of what OSC is doing in this community. So June 25th, right after the service, whenever Jason is done speaking, 
we're going to transition right into that, okay? And then later, right? But we have got something fun. Almost, I think for the first time, right? For junior hires, this is exciting. Yeah, look at this. Full party. That's going to happen from 2 to 4.30. Parents, if you know other families with junior hires, it's a really cool way to connect with those families. Parents, you're allowed to go to this. Maybe just step away from the pool so the kids can do their thing. But you are welcome. Register RSVP um, on the QR code. Buy the connection card. You can go to the website. We would love for you and your junior hires to be part of this. And then lastly, as always, we'd love for you to support what's happening. I love this arch, right? If you think about yesterday, Pride by the Beach, stuff's not free, right? We get to get out there and impact the community and what we give to this location is not just to be here in this space on Sunday mornings. It's to do this. And it's to give food to those who don't have food. So give if you can, jump on the website, give monthly, you drop it in the box at the end of the morning. Have a great rest of your Sunday. Have a great week, everybody.